Well, um, uh, it's a quote. It's better to be um, approximately right than to be precisely wrong. Somebody said that. And, and my sense is when you don't approach problems holistically, we often fall short in the solution uh, implementation stage. And that has been our bane as a country and as organizations. We need to look at things holistically. Welcome to The Spark, a part series by Brute Consulting discussing ideas that spark transformational growth. In each episode, we engage the best industry experts and thought leaders on strategic and innovative ideas for exponential business and institutional growth. Sit back and enjoy. Good afternoon, everyone, or if it is morning or evening, wherever you are. Joining me today is Mr. Tommy O'Ne, who happened to be the Group Human Resource Director for TG High. Mr. O'Ne, you are welcome. Thank you, sir. Today, we are going to be Thank looking you. at what I call healthy workforce, productive nation. Uh, there is no doubt that we have our own challenges as a nation, but also a productive nation is a healthy nation. However, for us to start, you know, you happen to be a human resource director in one of the largest conglomerates in Nigeria. I want you to share with us what you think to be the current challenges that confront Nigerian workers generally. Thank you, sir. To start with, thank you for having me on this program. It's a big pleasure to be here, especially based on my own circumstances. The fact that around September this year, I actually thought... um, I was going to come back in a body bag mm. from the UK. So just being alive, I'm, I'm very grateful. And uh, being on this program, um, I think it's one of those good things that we need to do to share knowledge and share our insights with people. So thank you for having me, sir. You're welcome. Um, you know, talking about uh, challenges facing Nigerian workers uh, in today's Nigeria, I would definitely want to start by saying that Nigerians work in both the public and private sectors of the Nigerian economy. And there are differences in those sectors. Also, they work for big corporations and also for small and medium-scale industries. They also work for one-man businesses. So some of the challenges they face may differ depending on you know, where they work. However, and generally speaking, the following for me, will be some of the challenges that I think are germane to an average employee in Nigeria. First is doing meaningful work. Does the work that I get to do, does it really align with my purpose? Am I doing something that is really meaningful you know, to my body, soul, and spirit? And I know that this is not a challenge that many people see because I think the focus is always on money. Second for me will be the value of the currency of the average Nigerian worker. And I was using this, there was an example that I was using with some of my friends. I said, um, when I was with Shell in between 2006 to 2010, my salary was a certain amount. When I convert that salary to pounds, sterling, or dollars, at that time, it used to give me around 6,000 Pounds because there was a time I worked for Shell in London for one year on, a, on an international project. Now, 
from 2010 to 2022, it's 12 years gone. And my salary in Nigerian currency, the Naira, must have increased like three times or thereabouts. Not double, but like triple. But today, when I convert that same salary that has, you know, tripled into pounds, it gives me almost the same amount that I would have gotten in 2010. Mm-hmm. So in narrow terms, my salary has increased. In real money, salary has stagnated. And for many people, the salary has only really reduced. So one of the challenges for me facing the average Nigerian worker, whether I'm a shop floor cleaner or I'm a director, is the value of this currency with which I get my pay. Of course, it, that leads us to inflation. Or it could be the other way around. But inflation is certainly one of the challenges that we face as Nigerian workers. Also, I think they, they, there is still this challenge of casualization of labor. So in many industries, we still have casual workers. In our organization, for example, we have been trying our best to ensure that we convert you know, whoever is on casual to a contract and to permanent employees. But of course, based on performance. We also have the general challenge. So when we talk about challenges faced by Nigerian workers, we cannot really differentiate or take out that challenge from the challenge, challenges facing Nigeria as a whole. So insecurity is one of the challenges facing the average Nigerian worker. I mean, how to get from home to work, how to get from work you know, back home. Uh, you may say that's not a challenge, but I'm sure that many people, even in Lagos, as cosmopolitan as it is, as modern as it is, we've heard about workers going missing while they were en, en route uh, the, their offices. Mm-hmm. We've heard about uh, people who have spent four hours in traffic and wasting the whole day, getting to work and then you're just tired. There's nothing you can do. We've also heard about people who are attacked while in traffic and the trauma you know, stays with them for long. And of course, we also have a challenge of healthcare. So, you know, in many organizations, especially maybe some of those small and medium scale industries, but also some one-man businesses, and maybe some, some big organizations, there are deductions made from workers' salary, either for their training or for their health or for their pension or you know, insurance, and in some instances, those deductions are not remitted to the, to, the, to the regulatory bodies or organizations in charge of those. And those guys become really exposed when they retire or when they lose their jobs. Hmm. I can tell you for certain that out of the 28 years that I've worked in my, in my working life, there, there's, some, there's this odd four years or five years in that 28 years where either NSITF or uh, National Housing Fund or whatever could not trace my deduction paid <laughs> by my employer. So that's a shortage for me. And I don't have the time to go to court, to go and start dragging and say, hey, where's this money that you deducted from my salary? So you can then imagine how, how much more, you know, um, other employees face this kind of uh, issues. And of course, for me, it will also be the challenge of getting out of the rat race. Um, many authors have said that um, all employees are in the rat race and that 95% of people in the world will work for money till they die. 
that only 5% of people will, will have money working for them. The first time I read a book that told that, that I learned this from was in 2009 when I was coming back from the international, uh, in my international assignment from the UK. And I read it on the plane. And I was thinking that coming back from international assignment, I had enough money saved. I was paid both in Naira but also in pounds that, oh, I should be part of that 5% that will have money working for them. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, on the next page in that book, the author said, do this experiment and find out where you belong. Check how much you have in your savings account right now and pretend as if you have no job. Now, do all your calculations on your expenditures, your expenses, whatever, mm-hmm. debts, and see how long that mm-hmm. money will last you. Yeah. I did a back-of-the-envelope calculation while sitting in that business class on that plane and I realized that the money, all the money I thought I had would only last me for about seven or eight months. I got so annoyed with myself. <laughs> that, that, that's, that, that's interesting. And, and I need to thank you for how you have uh, highlighted, you know, some of this problem that confront uh, the Nigerian workers or Nigerians, you know, generally. Uh, but I want to link them um, to how it has affected the states of health. Because you talk about insecurity, you know, for instance, um, I know organizations that are able to afford Mopol, you know, to guide their senior exec uh, to, to their working places. But you know that that is only for the top exec. So you have the issue of fear of kidnapping. It doesn't matter where you work in this country, you have that. And also is the issue of currency devaluation or inflation, you know, that you talked about. You are lucky to be one of those who have their salary raised maybe every year or every now and then. There are people that the salary that uh, they've been collecting in the last uh, few years is still what they are collecting. There is no increase in the salary, you know, and all of that. Now, from your own experience, if you look at how you trace it in 2010 or 2006, you know, there about, and now, and we talked about what organizations spend in taking care of their employees' health. What has been your experience? And I'm tempted to even link the current situation with corruption in our society, you know, because if your salary has been increased so much, and yet what you are earning now, 12 years or 14 years after, is like what you earn uh, 14 years ago, then something is wrong with the system. So what's your perspective in this, in this regard? Mm. First, I need to disclose that I have worked in nine organizations in 28 years. So it's not really that maybe I stayed in one place and then it was increased. So you can call me unstable on one side. But I I can quickly debunk that by saying that I've been married to my wife for 23 years. That's very good. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you, sir. So I'm also stable on that side. But it's it's a mix of, uh, you know, why you need to move and all of that. And sometimes, I think once in my career, I I moved for money. Mm. But of course, fortunately, when I go to that organization, I got enough challenges mm. that made me improve. Mm. Now, with the, when we talk about, you know, um, problem of corruption, challenges of healthcare in our nation and how that affects uh, employees or workers, I would like to say that I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, but to say that whether we like it or not, everything will start and end with leadership. Mm. And so depending on which leadership we have as a nation, because part of the issue 
when it comes to healthcare or corruption is how much or at what percentage of our budget is dedicated to healthcare, for example, or is dedicated to improving the processes that we have in governance. If we don't dedicate enough, definitely we will not get enough out of it. There's no two way about it. it there's no magic to this. When we look at the countries where healthcare you know, works, we we'll realize that the government believes that health of citizens and residents is priority to them. So whatever is priority to a government, they will you know, ensure that they allocate resources to fund you know, that item. So I feel we, we still go back to leadership. Now, when you go back to uh, maybe corporate organizations, we have MOPO for senior executives. Well, this is the same country where policemen are kidnapped themselves. <laughs> and vigilantes are the ones who go to rescue them. So really, there's, we can do all of that, but we have seen situations in Nigeria, in Lagos and in Abuja, where people were, were kidnapped right from the comfort of their homes, That's true. not on the road. What would you advise for leadership? What kind of leadership do you think we need currently, either at the state, local, federal government level, or in organizations, you know, you have said, what will you call that kind of leadership? I try not to use the word strategic leadership because it's overused. Because yes. And strategy really means planning. It's not a magic word. It's just planning. But when you plan and you have no capacity to execute, then of course your strategy is nothing. Hmm. For me, it's a leadership that thinks holistically and prioritizes. So people can find their phrases to define that or to describe that. But I would rather we have a leadership that looks at either the country or the state or the local government and say, this is the population of this local government. This is how I can slice and dice that data. There are X percentage who are farmers, X percentage that are teachers, X percentage work in corporate organizations, X percentage work in transport, all of that. And what are the basic needs of all human beings? Food, shelter, security, basic. How do we ensure that these basic needs are met? Of course, to make all of this work, you need power. So I would rather we have a government that prioritizes and focuses on three to five items to get right, rather than 25 things or 50 things to do. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mr. O'Neill, for that. I've done an extensive research when it comes to what I think is the kind of leadership that we need. And I try and I did some articles. Some of them were business day. You know. And what I call it is a focused and a transformational leadership. And why do I call it that way? Because when you look at the, when you look at China, yeah, it is true. China has existed for over 5,000 years thereabout. But the transformation that happened in China that made China to be what they are today is something that just took place in the last 42 years. The actual transformation that gave birth, you know, to, to what China is today, that China is now the, the global factory for the world today, actually happened in the last 42 years. How do you think organization or a country or a society can achieve that in which we are saying, you know, we are, maybe we say enough is enough because those leaders are actually from all of us, whether we like it or not. So you will not have a bad leader without you having bad followers. Maybe we are largely bad yeah. followers, you know, uh, as far as I'm concerned. I call it docile followership. So 
What do you think is the role of an average Nigerian? What role do you think an average Nigerian can play to ensure that we have this form of transformational leadership at the various level of our society? Thank you, sir, for your question. I think it's very straightforward. We need citizens and residents who get involved with governments, not those who stand aloof and say, I have nothing to do with politics or with governments. We need citizens who are interested in what happens around them, and we need citizens who, give, who can give feedback to their leaders. And we need citizens who are able to assess the performance of their leaders and based on that assessment, take a decision through election to either elect, re-elect, or reject leadership. Thank you so much. That's, uh, I think you just, you just put that, you know, uh, we need bold citizens who are involved, who are not afraid, who are able to assess. Now, let me quickly take you to life-work balance in organization or life-work integration, which is being talked about, you know, here and there, uh, especially since the pandemic. What has been your own personal experience? How do you think employer can ensure work-life balance for their employees? It, it, it's, it's a very dicey, you know, topic. But from your perspective, I believe that your employee must have talked about this to you severally uh, over the years. How do you think we can achieve an effective work-life integration? Take, for instance, in Portugal, Portugal just passed a law that no employer or supervisor should call employee anything outside the closing hour. Because of the pandemic, they discovered that there's no, you know, opening hour or closing hour. And you can't even call your employee on weekend and all of that. I think that's a bit radical. What do you think can be done? Or what, what, what does life, I mean, work-life integration, what does it mean to you? Thank you, sir, for this question. I would like to really quote a legendary Greek fabulist who said, and I quote, in quarreling about the shadow, we often lose the substance. Mm. So that was accredited to Aesop, who lived between 620 to 520 BC. Mm. In this topic of work life, I believe that the shadow is work and the substance is life. <laughs> and since life is more important than work, it is therefore crucial for us as employees and or, or employers, or anyone, to order our priorities right. And for me, as an employee, because I'm an employee, it's about understanding that there are differences between the rocks in my life, the big rocks in my life, the pebbles, and the grains of sand, and to ensure that I allocate time and resources to the big rocks. And the big rocks for me, personally, and based on my experience this year, is my family, my health, the quality of sleep that I get, my relationships. Mm. Of course, my work provides the fund for me to, to be able to ensure that I manage my family, my health, my relationship well. So my work is also important to me. However, my work can come and go. I can be asked to leave today. My family is so crucial because when I'm asked to leave or when I retire, they are the ones that will be with me, especially my wife and my children. My health is so important that I got that, you know, in, on the eve of going into the theater for open heart surgery, I realized 
that I am just one sickness or illness or disease away from death or from poverty, no matter how much I'm at, I'm at our mast. Mm. And I realized that, I mean, at that point, I updated my will the day before, you know, <laughs> I sent it to my best friend and one of my professional colleagues, I mean, outside my own work, work area. And to say, guys, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but this is how I would like things to be done. Mm. So on the strength of that experience alone, I tend to prioritize my health, even above you know, a lot of things. And so if anything is going to affect my health, I would have a discussion about it. So whether it's my work or whether it's my family or relationships, I will have to sit down and have a discussion. And we need to get a compromise. So, so it know? seems to me that what you are saying is that it is in the hands of individual. It's in the hand of well, individual. I believe that organizations have something to do. You know, that okay. And that's why all those policies also come into play. All right. So what do you think? Can you just tell us one of those policies that you feel organizations can have to help their employee? Because, you know, there are some employees that don't know when to stop. That all they just do is also sit down, work and work and work and work. What do you think organizations can do? And they are not, and these employees are not even conscious of their health, like I've mentioned. Um, really, there's been a lot that has been done by different organizations. You, I mean, you, you just shared with us the example in Portugal. But even in Nigeria, companies have done a lot. For example, in the banking industry, even in those days, around 2003, 2004, 2005, one bank came up to say, guys, we're going to shut down the generator by 6 p.m. Okay. Go home. And it was a bank. And that was an era where banks, you know, the culture was really quite terrible. And people always complain and say, no, I need to get out of the banking sector. I can never work in the banking sector, blah, blah, blah. But some banks took the bull by the horn and decided that they would switch off the generator by 6, by their generators by 6 p.m. And that all, all their guys should go home. In some other kind of companies, including us, you know, we used to work on Saturdays, for example. And then we stopped it okay. and said, you know, no work on Saturday. But in a manufacturing uh, 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 business unit, you know, yes. manufacturing is 24-7. If you okay. stop a line, it's going to cost you a lot to restart that line. But of course, that's why you have the shift system. And so people do go off on their off days, but other sets of workers continue to work. Right. And it comes back to mindsets and behaviors of leaders. Yes. So if you believe that your guys cannot go home until you go home and you're working till 1 a.m., 9 p.m., 10 p.m., then of course, that leader needs some counseling and coaching. Mm. If you believe that your guys must always answer your emails on Saturdays and Sundays, and if they don't, I mean, you get crossed, then of course, you need some counseling and coaching because they also need time for their, for their families, for their social life, even if, even if it's just to take a nap or sleep. So it, it takes a considerate leadership to understand that this work-life balance that we talk about is not a very difficult thing. Thing to achieve. The Spark is sponsored by Brute Consulting. Brute Consulting helps businesses achieve and sustain innovative growth through a design-led approach. We pursue in-depth insights derived from reliable research and a focus on the future of industry to guide and navigate distribution. We exist to exceed your expectations in all our service offerings, consulting services, in-house trainings, and open workshop. 
Check out www.brutesea.com for more. Thank you so much for that because I decided to bring that issue up because of how I believe it must have stressed some employees. We did a survey for a very large telecom company in this country some years back, and we discovered that about 76% of their employees are hypertensive. And that now takes me to the state of uh, healthcare in Nigeria. Yes, we've made some improvement of recent, uh, at least investment going to private healthcare sector, but it's still not enough. You just told us, and I need to congratulate you. Uh, we thank God that uh, you had a successful surgery, open-heart surgery uh, in the UK. And my question, you, you travel abroad. You have your reason why you have to travel abroad. Looking at the healthcare financing or the healthcare situation in Nigeria, which is what an average Nigerian worker will have to assess, what is your opinion? What's made you to travel abroad? Why did you even get to that point? of saying you need to undergo a open-heart surgery and all of that. Do you want to share your experience with us? Yes, I mean, one part, part of being grateful to God for keeping me alive is, is also to share the experience. Yeah. So I, I'm not going to say something, I am, I'm not going to say the Nigerian health system is good or bad or whatever, but I'm going to talk generally from my experience. First and foremost, what I see, I mean, what I've observed is that the healthcare professionals either in the U.S. or Canada or wherever in the country, and our own country, were all well-trained. They went to medical school. They went to school of nursing. They went to wherever. They got qualified, graduated, certified, and they work. So on that, on that note, the quality of the individuals in the mm. healthcare profession more or less the same. However, Based on my experience, and I will share them, you know, in, in snippets, I realized that there are some differences. Number one, attention to details of the experts. Whether it's a nurse or a doctor or a surgeon or a radiographer, whatever. Experience number one. I had an issue with my left eye in 2011. I was working then in Abuja. I, I went to the numero on eye hospital in Abuja which was public, they kind of assessed me, did all they were going to do, wrote a kind of note like, that was like written on a jota of like uh, just one page. Then I took it to my boss. We had a discussion and she said, look, Tommy, when it comes to vital organs in the body, the eyes, the heart, the lungs, the kidney, I prefer to do it in well-advanced countries. So why don't you do that? So I, I traveled abroad um, to a, an eye clinic in London. What I, what I observed was that the doctor that assessed me used the same equipment that the doctor in Nigeria used. However, her report was like nine pages long, not one page of a jotter. And Based on the attention to details, you know, a few things came out that did not come out in the, my assessment in Nigeria. That's one example. Of course, I ended up doing, having that surgery there. Now, the second example is, is about the heart surgery. I had a cardiologist in the UK, but I also have a cardiologist in Nigeria, a cardiologist that is well-trained, actually trained abroad and even practice abroad. 
but now practices in Nigeria. At some point, two of them had to meet via Zoom to discuss my condition and the next step. They agreed on everything except the treatment. While they were in Nigeria, I said, oh, it's a pacemaker that I should mm -hmm. go for. The guy I brought said he did not believe that the pacemaker would work for my condition because whatever was happening to me was happening at rest. The pacemaker is supposed to shock my heart back into the, its reading mm. if I'm under pressure and like maybe my heart couldn't cope again. But what happens to me sometimes happens even when I'm at rest, when I'm sleeping, when I like I'm sitting down, I just get up and it could happen. And in that case, a pacemaker would be useless. I didn't need anybody to advise me. <laughs> I took the advice of the cardiologist in the UK. Now, it was also based on other experiences that I've had. In my consultations with the two parties separately, I realized that because of the location and the number of patients that they see in some countries abroad, they have a lot of experience. They can tell you this is how the heart of an African is, and these are the normal ailments. This is what we've done. An Asian, uh, a Middle Eastern person, an American, a British. Whereas many of our doctors in Nigeria are limited to treating only Nigerians. And in some cases where the hospital is very good or is private and niche, they get to treat some experts who mostly will be maybe Middle Eastern, Easterners. So the the kind of various experiences they've had, the exposure, the multicultural patients that they've come across kind of builds up into the experience that they have. Thirdly is the way they share knowledge. In Nigeria, many times, the doctors become the lord over other healthcare professionals. Yeah. In some Western countries, they work as a team. In fact, I was on my bed when a team came in. I did not know the doctor from the nurse. And the cardiolog uh, cardiologist nurse, was the one leading when they were discussing with me. In Nigeria, it would never happen. They would never allow the nurse to even talk. Maybe it would just chip in if, if that nurse is bold. And that nurse, I realized later, I found that had even written a book on how to treat you know, patients with cardiac issues. So they accord respect and they work as a team. It's not one man who knows everything, one woman that knows everything above mm -hmm. the others. And I think for me, it's also the, of course, the conducive environment. So when you are in Nigeria, the doctor, no matter how good he is, wakes up in the morning and contends with either the traffic or the insecurity. Mm. Then he gets to the hospital, is distracted, you know, by those experiences that he had or the experience that he's going to have later on in the evening when he's going back home. You can't compare that to a guy who woke up, got on the train or got on his car, got to the office, no issues does not need to think of the security of his home or whatever. So it's so different. And then lastly for me is the follow-up system. From the hospital, you are discharged. You are handed over to the GP. It's not that you, you have to go to the GP yourself. They send your details to your GP. Right. Your GP calls you and say they have, they have an appointment with you on the phone or you have to come in person. And they take it up from there. Until something serious comes up, you continue to get follow-up treatment from your GP. You get your medicines from the pharmacy. They send it there. You only need to show them the order. 
So it's it's a holistic it approach. Very, very interesting thing that you've said. It's not all Nigerians that will be able to travel abroad to assess healthcare. Um, possibly we can't. We don't even have up to 10% that can afford to do that. What do we need to do differently as a nation? Some of the things that you said, Nigerians are well trained. There's no doubt about that. Uh, healthcare, just like education, you know, uh, continue to to play, I mean, to lie behind other sectors, you know, very, very seriously. And this is this educational system and the health system that an average Nigerian worker needs to assess. So what do we need to do differently in this regard, especially when it comes to healthcare financing? Because without adequate finance into healthcare, it's going to be the same story. I think first and foremost, sir, there needs to be um, focus, like you said, on what is priority to this country and to the people and citizens of this country. Now, we talk about, Maslow said this thing, I don't know how many years ago, mm. but we still grapple, we are still struggling with the basic things of life. So, food, shelter, health, security, without those four things, we're not going anywhere. Now, health is there. How do we want to ensure that we can at least transform? I think we're going to need a lot of funding. And you can't get funding if you don't get, don't get government support. You don't get government support if government does not think that it is priority. Now, when government thinks it's priority, then it's about partnering, you know, with the private sector, with donor agencies, with, even with other countries. What are the issues that we have as Nigerians? What are the health issues that we have? What are the most common health issues that we have? And are we focused on, the res on resolving them? Do we, do we even have basic um, health issues that we need to really eradicate? Malaria, for example. Mm. When you get to hospitals, majority of the cases are malaria. How do we ensure that malaria becomes a thing of the past? Why is there no vaccine for malaria when it is a major and but we sit down and expect that europeans and the the westerners will develop it for us they don't have malaria there the mosquitoes we need to start thinking on the basis of what are the basic things and then what are our priorities and what should because we focus on no, because there is no funding for research so that's the reason why uh those places that you spoke about developing vaccines there's there is huge amount of money that is devoted to research and i and i put it to you some of those research yes a lot of them come from uh, government but majority come from private institutions which you don't have in nigeria private institution i mean you go to harvard you go to mit Yale, and all of that you see the the endowment you know that they have in there those endowments are not from uh, are not from the government those endowments are from private individuals UI is the largest, I mean, it's the oldest university in Nigeria. What is the endowment that they have? I'm not sure the endowment is up to $100,000. Okay, so this is the issue that we have. How do we ensure that there is a, a, a bridge between TAN and GAN? GAN is the, the academics, and TAN, you know, the organizations like yours and, the, you know, other organizations that you have in this country. Because without that injection, it may be difficult for us to actually move ahead. 
you know, my, my sense is that in Nigeria, you still need the government to be involved, not to put the money down, but to be involved in one way or the other. Now, let's look at infrastructure, for example, and see whether we can borrow something from what we are doing on roads. Now, government goes to corporate organizations and say, hey, the road from our national uh, ports in Lagos is terrible. Mm. Uh, Mr. XYZ, you can help us fix that road, and in return, we give you some tax concessions for X number of years. Now, what stops us from doing that for research? And I'm not saying research for everything, myriad of things. Focus. Let's just take it as okay, food and health. Yes. And in health, it's about, okay, let's eradicate the diseases or illnesses that lead to bigger ones. So malaria, let's focus on malaria for the next four years. Okay. Uh, organization A, B, C, D, E, F. Let's come together and discuss this. We will give you tax rebate for the next five years, 10 years. If you could help us fund research on malaria yeah. vaccine. I, I think the government have started that. With, I'm sure uh, that we will get something that's yeah. true. They've started that with infrastructure, like uh, giving Dangote to do the Oronsoke, the Apapa, you know, express. So I agree with you. Government can introduce that for research as well. As you round up, on, I mean, a new a business day of January 20th published that all the health gap, all the private hospitals in Nigeria have given a notice that by uh, January 31, they are going to withdraw their service because of poor tariffs and terrible delay in payment of bills by HMOs. The HMOs are meant to uh, help us to advance our healthcare services in Nigeria. But from this report, it seems to me that that's not what you have. If you go to an HMO, HMO will say, well, our clients are not paying the right tariffs. And when they talk about their client, they talk about organizations. And even when they pay tariffs, they, are, they also you know, uh, uh, delay terribly because uh, the delay in the payment. The question is, how do we as a nation work around this? If there is no HMO today that a lot of people rely on, what's going to be the state of our healthcare? What do we need to do for organizations to actually appreciate quality of care for their employee? I give an instance. Somebody says hospital some years back, a wealthy person in this country, who himself attested to it that he got a better care in Nigeria compared to what he got in UK. However, he was asked to pay for consultation, maybe they, they, they asked him, for that particular uh, procedure rather, they asked him to pay 500,000 and he complained. And I said, no, it's too much. However, if he's to do it in UK, he's going to pay 1,700 pounds. And his, uh, his daughter, who happened to be in UK, and his son, who is in the USA, Daddy, what are you talking about? You told us we have interacted with this doctor. He's an American-trained doctor. He's one of the best that you can see around. And you yourself, you mentioned that you have never seen this kind of care before. So why don't you want to pay for his service? Okay? So what I'm trying to say is that how do we get organization to support their workers better through quality healthcare. And quality healthcare cannot come, it's not a free lunch, 
it has to be paid for. And when HMO complained that it is because organization pay them a little premium, so they cannot afford to pay, I mean, the hospital, what they need to pay the hospital, then there is a problem. From your perspective, relating with HMO, what can you say to this? This is a very important uh, topic, really. But I, I would like to say that it is not the first time um, we're going to have this issue of HMOs versus hospitals or vice, and vice versa. I remember very clearly when I was working for Diageo Guinness in Nigeria in 2002, 2005, and we were migrating to HMO that some hospitals declined moving to HMOs. Mm. They wanted that retainership at all, at all costs because, of course, they can control things and they get their money direct and they make more profit. I feel that the HMO has come to stand today but we still need HMO at scale. The more HMO organizations that come up, the less the problem we're going to be having. Right now, what I think is happening is that we have HMOs that are managing a lot of clients and organizations and hospitals <clears throat> much more than they can handle. Uh, because again, it's a quality market. It's, you know, it's, an, it's also a price market. So people will gravitate towards an HMO that you know, can satisfy their needs. So, but, you know, hospitals saying, oh, we're going to do it with HMOs, it's not the first time that this kind of issue will come up. And I believe that they can reach a consensus because the HMO uh, system has really helped, you know, organizations in Nigeria and has helped employees. Now, we go back to, you know, ability to pay, you know, by employers. I think it goes back to what you think of your employees yeah, and what you think are the benefits that is important to them, benefits that are important to them and how those benefits can lead to better engagement with your employees and help you to retain talents. Because if it's a benefit that is important to employees, but you don't provide that, the kind of care that they want, or that they need, then of course you know that you will you may not be able to retain those talents. In effect, organizations will prioritize what is important for them. In many companies where I've worked, HR succeeded, you know, in achieving good engagement scores because you show to leadership that number one or number two or number three top complaints of employees is this or that. And if that includes medical benefit, then of course, leadership listens and they say, okay, so what more should we do? What can we do? And then we'll provide a solution. Where we may have that, uh, the, most of the challenge when it comes to this, uh, in terms of paying premium on time, uh, you, know, uh, you know, processing document, documentation on time, all of that. May, may well be in you know, small-scale industries, one-man businesses, maybe some government or, or organizations, but also in some big corporations. And I would like to see this as an area where we continue to develop and improve. We've, we've not got in there. We, we've not, I don't think we've done 20 years of HMO in Nigeria. No, we have not. So we are, we're not, we're, yeah, so we are not there yet. It's, it's developing. And we are also beginning to see HMO specializing. Now we see HMOs who say, Oh, we are for the SMEs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, we are for we are for distributed trade, like this um, 
sense organizations because they are always dispersed. And so sometimes there's a dichotomy between the healthcare that um, employees in the head office or in major towns are able to assess versus you know, employees who are in some rural areas. In fact, the quality of the hospitals in the rural areas you know, you mm. may, may not be comparable to the hospitals that you have in Parako or Abuja or Kano or Lagos. But, you know, with the help of technology, because that's why we also need to embrace technology and also data analytics, companies are able to improve, you know, as we go along. I want to see these as teaching problems and that we, we will be able to overcome them. Thank but you so to, much. To go, to, to go back to hospitals and HMOs, my own advice is, guys, sit down at the table, have a discussion. Thank, thank you so much. It's a teaching problem that we are going to overcome, uh, just like some of the problems we have in our society. Uh, we've come to uh, the end of this uh, uh, chat. However, before we go, is there any parting word you know, uh, from you that uh, you want our listener, you want to drop with our listener? Any parting word? Uh, we try to say we give uncommon insight in business and you know, uh, leadership and governance. So, is there anything that you want to say differently uh, for the benefit of our leader, of our listeners, in terms of how we can improve our systems in our society and make Nigeria a better place? Well, um, uh, it's a quote. It's better to be um, approximately right than to be precisely wrong. Somebody mm. said that. And, and my sense is when you don't approach problems holistically, we often fall short in the solution uh, implementation stage. And that has been our bane as a country and as organizations. We need to look at things holistically and be able to execute you know, the solution sets perfectly. Our challenge is we can plan, we can strategize. There are a lot of papers that have been, that have been written but there's nothing new about Nigeria's problem that anybody will come up with. But in implementing the solution, we often fall short. Mm. An example, for example, when in 2009, I was working, when I came back, I was working between Lagos and Polakot. And in Lagos, we would park our vehicles at the BRT bus stop in Magodo and mm. join the BRT bus. We felt like, yes, this is what this country needs. In the air condition, is either you work on your laptop, you work on your phone, or you take a nap. And you arrive at the office fresh. It didn't take long before, you know, that system began to break down. Now, what could have, in some other countries, maybe what would have happened was, well, we are starting BRT, yes, we're getting buses, yes, but let's make an open bid. Let the companies who are best in managing you know, buses, transportation business, bid, and we will select the best two or best three or best four to manage these BRT buses. And I'm sure the companies that would have won would have been the Akedebili Chukus, the Chiscos of this world. But that didn't happen. We formed a company by ourselves, put our people there. They didn't know anything about logistics or running buses or luxurious buses, whatever. And then we have what we have today. I hope this will not happen to the train system, to the deer, to the light rail that is coming, and to the updates on the BRT. So holistically, let's approach problems and let's 
you know, implement the solutions in a holistic way. Thank you, sir. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much, uh, Mr. Oni, for, uh, for your time and for the insight that you have shared with us uh, today. Um, your parting word is let's do less of politics in appointment, uh, in giving services to people, you know, to run. Let us have an holistic view of our problems. Let us approach our problem with, um, uh, by being deliberate, because without a deliberate effort, we cannot get out of the woods. I want to thank you again for your time uh, with us uh, this uh, evening. And uh, we also want to uh, wish you uh, again good health uh, as you continue with your various undertakings. And we do believe that one of these days that Nigeria is also going to get to where it's hard to get to in the community of nations. Thank you so much. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Spark by Brit Consulting. To subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, head over to www.brutc.com forward slash spark so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value, we'd appreciate our rating. Or simply tell a friend or colleague about the show and that will help us out. You might also want to check out our open workshop for the month or the free resources and materials on our website www.brutc.com. Thank you.